This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. The great Roman orator Cicero was not only a statesman and master of rhetoric, he was also a student of the theory and practice of law. Among his many works are a series of letters he wrote to his friend Titus Atticus, in which Cicero outlines the ten cardinal rules of cross-examining a witness. As a former lawyer myself, I can attest that these principles are indeed still taught in American law schools, at least it was in mine. Unfortunately, the poor Pharisees in our gospel story were apparently absent that day in class because in cross-examining Jesus, they failed to follow at least two of Cicero's fundamental rules. First, always ask leading questions to which there is only a yes or no answer. And second, never allow an adverse witness to explain his answer. Now, it's not that the Pharisees didn't try. They thought that they had set a trap from which Jesus could not extricate himself. In setting up their question about paying taxes to Caesar, the Pharisees had shrewdly enlisted the help of the Herodians, an elite priestly group whose power base in Israel was founded upon a set of alliances forged with the Roman occupiers. The plan was this. They would gather a crowd around Jesus, half of whom were Jewish peasants violently opposed to paying taxes to the Roman oppressor, and the other half of whom were Herodians, loyal to Rome, and in favor of a citizen's obligation to pay the tax. With the stage thus set, the question is posed to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? The dilemma is straightforward. If Jesus says yes, he offends his base, poorer Jews, who are fed up with paying taxes to Rome. If Jesus says no, he runs the risk of being turned in for sedition, 
by the more elite Herodians who have made compromises with Rome. There appears to be no good answer, no way out. Seeing the trap, Jesus pivots rather than answer. He responds, as you just heard, show me the coin for paying the tax. Here is mistake number one. Instead of insisting upon a yes or no answer, the Pharisees are taking, taken in by the seeming innocence of Jesus' request, not realizing, in fact, that it is the decisive turning point in the story. Jesus, you see, doesn't have a Roman coin in his pocket, yet his interrogators do. Their purses, we discover, are lined with Roman coins. These Roman denarii, remember, not only bear an image of the emperor on them, but they also had the following inscription. Tiberius Caesar, august son of the divine Augustus, high priest. Those words, identifying the emperor as a god, would have been or should have been blasphemous to any observant Jew of the day. Not only is there only one true God, but it is a breach of the most basic Mosaic commandment to make a graven image of the divine on a coin or otherwise. Yet here the Pharisees are pulling Roman coins out of their pockets, just like the money changers that Jesus had only so recently expelled from the temple's grounds. Now having his interrogators where he wants them, Jesus says, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Mistake number two. The Pharisees allow Jesus to explain his answer. And with this response, Jesus yet again shifts the direction of the conversation. The Pharisees want to talk about taxes and Rome and authority. Or put another way, they are preoccupied with the twin idols of money and power. Jesus, on the other hand, wants to talk about God. Give whatever the empire demands, Jesus says, for that's not ultimately what's important. What is important is God and what we can offer to God. While Jesus thus deftly avoids the Pharisees' trap and turns our attention to God, you'll notice that he doesn't really answer the question of precisely what we should give to God. As is so often true with Jesus' teaching, he challenges us with a question without providing an easy answer. In his commentary on today's gospel, the early church father Tertullian, who I might add was also a lawyer, suggested an approach to that question. There is a two-step logic in Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees, Tertullian observes. In determining what to give to the emperor, Jesus invites the Pharisees to ask the question, what bears the emperor's image? And the answer, as we know, is the Roman coin. So, Tertullian argues, to determine what we should give to God, we need to ask ourselves the same question. What bears God's image? 
And the answer to that question, of course, is we do. Each one of us is created in God's image. The logic of Jesus' question points to its answer. What we have to give to God is nothing other than our very selves. God is not interested in money or power or any of the other idols we chase. What God wants is us, all of us, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. The author of our gospel today, Matthew, well understood this, of course. One of the delicious ironies of today's reading is that Matthew, you'll recall, was himself a tax collector. Although born and raised a Jew, he pursued a rather disreputable career working for the Romans, extorting taxes from his fellow Jews. That is, until he met Jesus. The encounter with Jesus changes everything for Matthew. After meeting Jesus, Matthew sees the emptiness of a life chasing money and power and comes to see that it is only in giving himself over to Jesus that he can truly find himself. Understood this way, we see that what our gospel this morning is really all about is our loyalty to what and to whom we owe our most basic allegiance. And the reason God invites our complete loyalty is not because he's some demanding tyrant who insists on slavish obedience, but rather because he is a persistent lover of souls who is so desperate to make us whole that he relentlessly chases after us, eager to enlist us in his dream of building a new Jerusalem, a new kingdom, a beloved community built around a vision of a new humanity centered in the example of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're sitting there in the pew thinking to yourself that this sounds impossibly difficult, that in the real world we all have divided loyalties and have to compromise with the empire, and are compelled to make whatever horse trades are necessary to survive, and that giving our whole selves to Jesus is just plain crazy, then you're probably hearing Jesus' words right. He is asking the impossible of us. And yet the good news of the gospel is that with God's help, all is possible. For the mystery of faith, as the tax collector Matthew himself discovers, is that when we put our complete trust in Jesus' promise of abundant life, when we trade in the currency of the realm for the love of the kingdom, we find that the impossible becomes possible. As we are given the grace to move from brokenness and alienation toward integrity and community, and discover the joy of living in and through the body of Christ. This body, right here. So today is Stewardship Sunday. Your counsel and I just named that. It is that time of year when we look forward to the year ahead, 
and ask ourselves how much of myself, of my time, my talent, my treasure, am I willing and able to invest in the church's future? Each of those things is important, by the way. A healthy and vibrant church needs volunteers to devote time to support the many ministries of the church. We also need an array of talents, ranging from singers to readers to teachers to treasurers to property managers to activists to greeters and more. And we also very much need financial support to sustain this wonderful community of ours in a time when, as you know, costs continue to go up and up. We're mindful, of course, that everyone's family circumstances are unique. Some of us may have the time and talent to give, but not much money. And others may have the money, but not much time. Each one of us has to pray and discern for him or herself what is possible in the coming year. But in making that decision, I hope you will keep in mind Jesus' words today about giving to God what belongs to God. That great early church father, St. Augustine, had a very simple way of unpacking this teaching. This is the advice Augustine gave to his flock about the question of stewardship. He said, examine closely just how much God has given you. And then by all means, take what you need. But as for the remainder, these gifts are very much needed by Christ to meet the needs of others and to heal this hurting world. Let us sing together as saints of old. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.